You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Well, hello there, my friends. Welcome into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. Did Moses think the earth was flat? Did Moses think the earth was flat? That's going to be the subject matter we're talking about today. I think it's one you're going to find really interesting. We're going to talk about some things as it relates to, you know, modern day sort of biblical scholarship and uh, some of the thoughts that uh, people have had in recent years uh, regarding ancient Near Eastern thinking. And so I'm really excited to bring this topic to you. One quick order of business before we go any further is I have decided to um, start publishing once again on Substack for uh, the Bible Nerd uh, Society. I won't take long here, but uh, basically, this is something that I had first introduced a while back, end of 2020. I started it uh, and fell off the map, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't good. I'm not proud of it. Um, and if you don't know anything about that story, then you can actually go read all about it. If you want to, if you go to BibleNerdSociety.substack.com, BibleNerdSociety.substack.com. I did a whole write-up there sort of explaining what happened, and uh, apologizing for it. And if you're somebody who just happens to know what I'm talking about here, then I do want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I fell off the map in that endeavor, Uh, but I am restarting it. And I explained why and how all that's going to work. Right now, everything on there is free. So just go to BibleNerdSociety.substack.com and you can read. If you want to subscribe to that, then great. Um, It's where I'm going to start doing some more written content, um, similar to the sort of subject matter that we do here on uh, on the podcast. So hopefully that's something that you will uh, be willing to dive into and check out. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I really love writing. Uh, Podcasting is fun. Uh, Even doing videos and stuff is fun, but I'm a writer at heart. So I love writing and uh, I love, you know, researching and and writing things about the Bible and other subjects as well. So um, I'm going to be doing that there and I would invite you to check that out. Okay. So getting right into it. Did Moses think that the earth was flat? Okay. Now this might be a funny sounding question to you. So let me contextualize a little bit. And then we will uh, really dive into the subject and, and try to answer the question. So the claim here is that modern discovery, modern archaeology, and biblical scholarship has brought much to light, and even ancient Near Eastern scholarship, to be honest, has brought much to light about how people in the ancient Near East viewed the world. And this refers to people, obviously, characters that we would know from the Bible, This has to do with folks who lived in close proximity to them, you know, old cultures like Mesopotamian culture and the Sumerian culture and others. And as you look back at these people groups that lived in the same world, so to speak, as the ancient Israelites, um, it's interesting to look at what, what they believed and how they believed and how those beliefs either diverged or intersected um, with the biblical worldview. And you, you think, well, I, you know, maybe, maybe you've never heard about this before. <laughs> you know, maybe you've never considered the idea that you know, these cultures were not so isolated from each other, you know, that they actually spent a lot of time near each other and together. And I think oftentimes we, we make the Bible you know, seem more like an ancient fairy tale more than anything else. And we take people who lived in the Bible, ancient Israelites, 
And we think of them as very different from the people who lived around them. And don't get me wrong, they were. Okay, they were very different. But there was a lot of integration in those people groups. And, and honestly, you don't have to look any further than the Old Testament to see this. I mean, the Israelites spent whatever, 400 or so years, there's some controversy around that number, uh, but they spent roughly 400 or so years with the Egyptians, deeply integrated inside of Egyptian culture. As they came out of the Egyptian culture through the events of the Exodus and then leading into the conquest narratives and then eventually getting into uh, the period of the kings, you see problems where Israelites fell into idolatry, the worship of other gods, the worship of um, or the, the adherence to other worldviews. They had one foot in Yahweh's camp and one foot in the camp of Baal or um, other gods, Ashtaroth, etc. Okay. And the question becomes, well, you know, it's not just a matter of what God did they serve? Was it Yahweh? Was it, you know, Kimosh? Was it uh, Baal, etc.? It's it's not just that. It's what other things did they believe? Either, um, it, it's what other things did they believe that were maybe implications of the gods that they were choosing to serve or the worldviews that they were choosing to adhere to? And one of the common conceptions of, of the ancient times is that the earth was flat with a dome structure around it. And uh, there's a little bit of you know a question as to whether this was a rounded flat earth or whether it was like, you know, four corners, like basically a rectangular flat earth. And there were ancient people groups who seemed to believe that this is how the world was structured and organized. And one of the recent trends in in sort of biblical, especially Old Testament scholarship, is to is to think that the Israelites and even first century Christians, Jews, um, would have held these same ideas would have held that the earth is flat and maybe that the earth had actual corners and maybe that the earth was held up by physical pillars. And if you look at, um, if you, if, if you study even in like Logos Bible software, um, very well-respected company in general, um, obviously probably one of the best academic resources for, um, people trying to do any sort of meaningful Bible study. Uh, you're going to find resources of, of theirs um, that even buy into this, that biblical uh, scholars are pretty much universally decided that ancient Israelites held this idea of a flat earth that was potentially rounded and had a dome above it, and that when the biblical writers are referring to things under the earth and they refer to Sheol, um, it's basically a compartment below the earth where the departed dead go. And there are compartments um, in in Sheol. Uh, some compartments were there for the basically the righteous, 
departed dead. And then there were, uh, you know, compartments for the unrighteous departed dead. And, and the question is, is that, is that true? And I'm, again, the way I'm posing the question, you know, did Moses think the earth was flat? Uh, I'm posing it that way just because there was, you know, a, some of the controversy that comes up here is, is stuff that's actually in the Pentateuch. And it's just, yeah, like did Moses and other biblical writers, that's really what I'm asking, does, did biblical writers believe that the earth was flat, have this conception of the earth? Now, of course, you might be wondering, well, why does this matter? Well, some of you aren't going to be wondering that, and others of you are. Those of you that are wondering that, you're probably wondering that because you come from a background where it is important that the Bible speaks truthfully to all of the things that the Bible speaks on. And by the way, I think you are well justified um, in asking that of the Bible. Uh, but even that has been questioned in recent years, right? Really now it depends on your view of the authorship and the inerrancy even of, of the Bible. It really depends there um, whether it's going to matter for you if the biblical authors believe things about the physical world that today we know are not the case. Um, and, and if you have, you know, if, if you were to, to look at something and you were to say, oh, well, you know, biblical authors seem to believe that the earth was flat. And if that view made it into the Bible and we look at the Bible as our source for truth, um, if we held, you know, the Chicago statement on inerrancy speaks to this, it's basically anytime the Bible speaks to something true. You know, something about the real world, whether it be scientifically based or historical based or whatever it is, if we look at those things, um, is the, it, basically, is the, is the Bible going to be, you know, can it be wrong? Can it be wrong about physical things like that? Can it get some details of history incorrect? Can it get some details of science that we know better about correct? And it's an interesting question because... I mean, there are whole books and movements and 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 teachings that are related to the idea even of of what some call scientific foreknowledge, right? This idea that scientific authors or or excuse me, this idea that authors of the Bible wrote things down that they couldn't have possibly, you know, it's, it's scientific knowledge that they couldn't have possibly had access to, and yet they seem to know it, um, and. The question is, is that a case of the Bible accurately reporting on some scientific truth before it could have been possibly known? Um, or are we just understanding that wrong? And, and maybe what they meant isn't what we mean. And what's an example of this? Well, in the book of Job, and I'm not sure of the exact verse. I might try to find it right here. Um, he talks about how the earth... Um, hangs on nothing, how the earth actually hangs on nothing. And uh, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. I'm trying to see if I can find it. Um, yeah, there we go. So Job 26.7 says that he stretches the northern skies over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He hangs the earth on nothing. Now, as a, as a modern person, reading that, 
you're going, well, yeah, like we know like that the earth, it, like if you were to look at it from space, it's basically like the earth is hanging on nothing. The question is, is that what that meant? How would a uh, ancient Israelite understand this? And, and by the way, I'm not actually going to answer that for you. I just want you to think about it with me. We're going to talk through some of these other things, but but I, I want you to think about that question with me. That's a really good specific example. Does the earth hang on nothing? Or, or, or is it on pillars? And in fact, Answers in Genesis, I think, has written an article about this, uh, posing the question, does the earth hang on pillars of nothing? <laughs> which is which is kind of cool. Um and they do explain this well, but yeah. So, so also in Job, in Job nine six, uh, he says he shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. Right. So isn't that interesting? And I'm just trying to get you to think here a little bit. Does the earth hang on nothing, or does it rest atop pillars? Now, some have said that um, even if that is a contradiction, that that's fine, right? Because they they weren't asking these sorts of questions in, in those days. They, they were concerned with you know, the theological teachings and they didn't care at all about the physical stuff. So it'd be okay, not only if it was wrong, but if it was contradictory. And I have to tell you, my friends, I mean, you know, I sympathize with people who have these views, but I just can't bring myself to agree, okay? I just can't bring myself to agree that they really did physically believe at the same time that the earth was hung on nothing and yet rested on pillars. That is hopelessly contradictory. And, and I don't, believe that that's the case. I think there's something else, um, you know, going on here. I think the verses probably mean something different, you know, than we're understanding them to mean. So I wanted to, to, to just take some of these examples and specifically, we're going to look at, um, things talking about the four corners of the earth. We're going to talk a little bit about the pillars of the earth. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about this idea of the expanse, the firmament, the third heaven, uh, and then give just a, a, a little bit of evaluation of this data that we're talking about and see where, see where we can land on it. All right. So let's, uh, let's examine the verses. So what about verses in the Bible that talk about the four corners of the earth, the four corners of the earth? One of these is Isaiah eleven twelve. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel he will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Let me read that again. Isaiah eleven twelve. He will lift up a banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, as you hear that, as you read that verse, what is, as a modern reader, right, what is the first thing that comes to mind? What is the first thing that comes to mind? I want you to take a second and think about it. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, if you're like me, when I read that, the very first thing that I think of is, oh, there are four general directions, north, south, east, and west. By the way, Ancient people knew about this. Remember, the Bible talks about how God has um, basically separated us so far from our sin, as far as the east is from the west. Okay, so th they, they knew, okay, about 
directions. Now, it looks to me that if you want to use this verse to support the teaching that the earth is flat, you will have to take a very wooden literal approach to this scripture. Again, if you want to look at this and you want to actually read this as saying, like literally there are four corners of a flat, like rectangular earth that Judah is going to be pulled in from. To me, that seems like you have to take a very, very wooden literal approach to the to the scriptures. And not only that, but then if you're taking that wooden literal approach, okay, wouldn't that mean that those people would have to be residing basically in those four corners? I mean, if you're going that literally, then you can't you can't just be like close to one of those corners. Right? You gotta be pulling them in from those corners. And I'll tell you what's crazy here. Okay. And look, I'm again I'm real sympathetic across the board. I I get that, you know, these ancient scriptures are are not you know, the Bible is not meant to be a scientific textbook. It's not meant to be a even a scientific treatise or explanation of uh, of facts. I mean, if God wanted somebody with modern scientific knowledge to write the Bible, he would have waited until the Bible was written right now. But then, of course, it would be irrelevant for people hundreds of years from now because they don't. They're you know they're not moderns. They're going to look back at our science and be like, "What the crap? Like, what what on earth is going on? Uh, what did these people believe? They were crazy, you know." So. So if we're, if we're going to read it that woodenly literal, it seems like we would have to just make some absurdities of the text. And the, the issue here is that a lot of times people who actually take this view, people who actually hold the view that um, the ancients really did believe the earth was flat, a lot of times they will accuse people like me and uh, people potentially like you listening um, uh, of reading the Bible in a wooden literal fashion. Right. And they will even point to silly examples like, you know, saying, you know, Jesus being the door as some sort of analogy to us looking at, say, Genesis 1 and understanding that those were literal 24 hour days. So here the shoe is on the other foot because it really looks like that he will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth, meaning the four directions of the earth. And I didn't look this up beforehand. I should have. I'm pretty sure that elsewhere in the Bible, the concept of the four winds is mentioned. Yeah, Jeremiah 49, 6. Yeah, here, here you go. Ezekiel 37, 9. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe, uh, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so they may live. Uh, Daniel talking about the four winds of heaven. Jeremiah, I will bring the four winds against Elam from the four corners of the heavens, and I will scatter them to all these winds. Uh, again, we're talking about directions, okay? We're talking about directions. This is a natural way. This is why I don't like the word literal. A lot of times the word literal uh, can be very, very sorely misunderstood. So we're talking about naturally. If we take this naturally, the four corners, the four winds, four corners of the heavens, four corners of the earth. Okay, what we're talking about is directions. We're talking about four directions. All right. So that's one example. Isaiah 41, 9, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Again, as far as the east is from the west, it's the same languaging. Okay, there's nothing new here. The farthest corners, does that mean that they thought that the earth actually had 
corners. Again, I don't think you can hold that and be literally consistent. How about this? Uh, Revelation 7, 1, after this, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. So, okay, so let's take this literally. So the only place that the four winds of the earth could be restrained, the only place is at the corners. So, so the wind can only get in through the the corners and then suddenly somehow the the wind that can only come in through those corners is going to blow on the earth or on the sea or or trees like somewhere into the i guess you know thousands or whatever of miles into the middle of the earth like this doesn't make this doesn't make any sense after this i saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth nor any sea or any tree well if there are four angels standing at the different directions restraining the winds holding back the winds then to me that seems to make sense again it's 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 picturesque it's a beautiful way to describe what's actually happening i mean there's no doubt about that but i don't think we're literally talking about four corners on which they are standing as if only wind could blow in those one little corners or whatever they're Standing in, directionally holding back the winds that are blowing. I mean, that's what seems to make sense to me. So I don't think this four corners language can be held to this uh, standard to make it think that, or to make anybody think that they thought that the earth was flat. All right, now what about the pillars of the earth? Okay, so this is an interesting uh, one. What about the pillars of the earth? Job 9, 6, of course, he shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. And then Psalm 75, 3. When the earth and all of its inhabitants shake, I am the one who steadies its pillars. Selah. Okay, I'm going to read those two again. Job 9.6, he shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. And Psalm 75.3, when the earth and all its inhabitants shake, I am the one who steadies its pillars. Selah. Now, there's a couple different thoughts and views on this. Here's one thing, though. If, if you're going to approach this, like at some point you have to have a starting place. Okay. Now, if you allow for the fact that there are contradictions in the Bible, uh, then you could say, okay, Job 9, 6 means one thing. Uh, Job, uh, the other verse we looked at where it was talking about the earth hanging on nothing. That's another thing. Yeah, they're contradictory, but whatever, <laughs> you know, basically is, is the approach you'd have to take. Uh, versus if you start with the idea that, okay, scripture interprets scripture, um, the Lord is perfect. His word is perfect. Uh, it seems to me that there would be no contradictions in the Bible. Well, then you have to say, okay, whatever it means by its pillars holding up the earth, it, it can't mean that it, it's something contradictory to the earth being hung on nothing, right? So does it have pillars? Is it on nothing? What is the deal there? Again, a couple different ways you could go here. If if we're not doing the thing, and again, notice how in order in order for that to be a contradiction, you have to take that extremely literally. Okay. In both of those cases, you have to believe that what what the writer is talking about is physical pillars holding up the earth and also the earth physically hanging on nothing. Now I'm doubtful that that's the case. And I, I'm not going to try to pretend to, to go in and look at the specifics of, of those two verses here for our purposes here. Um, maybe we could do that sometime. But whatever it is that they mean, whatever it is that they mean, I think we are right to question whether what they're talking about is some physical thing or whether they're talking about 
something that is being used analogously or it's a picture of some sort. Um, one example is pillars in the Bible. A lot of times it's associated with people and authority. So for example, Psalm 75, 3, when the earth and all its inhabitants shake, I'm the one who studies its pillars. Maybe the pillars referred to there are people. Um, I don't know. Maybe the same thing in Job 9, 6. And actually, if we just, uh, let's see, we're going to go look up some context here. And we're going to go to Job 9, 6. Um, so for example, he removes mountains without their knowledge. This is verse 5. He removes uh, mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. He commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Um, then he goes on to talk about the uh, the stars, the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, the constellation of the, of the southern sky. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. If you read this, uh, poetic portion of scripture, which by the way, it's very poetic, which is the key to saying, okay, well, maybe this doesn't need to be read with wooden literalism anyway. Um, a lot of times the way that the poetry lines match up, you'll have two different verses that sort of say the same thing in a different way. And so here in this case, you've got, he removes mountains in verse five without their knowledge, overturning in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. Maybe it's talking about the mountains you know, trembling. I mean, by this time, you're going to be after the flood. There's going to be lots of turmoil and things going on. The very foundation of the earth is going to be, uh, again, if, if you do take your Bible as being um, literally, you know, the events actually happening, and then you take the language as being natural, this is going to be at a time written after the flood where the earth is going to be uh, still undergoing some of those post-flood effects. And you think, well, Steve, you're reaching there. Well, again, I'm not reaching. <laughs> it's It's like, you know, especially creationists have been talking about this for some time um, now that, that there's this this process called isostasy that would, um, you know, we would expect the events from the flood if they were truly as tumultuous as it as the Bible seems to describe. Um, you know, it's been estimated that it could take about 25,000 years from the time of the flood for the earth to fully uh, settle. It's a possible explanation for earthquakes even today. And, uh, you know, so the reality is, as you're looking at this, it's like, well, this is going to be what, a few hundred to a few thousand years um, you know, re removed from the time of the flood. So not very much at all. Um, depending on when you think Job was authored, some people think it was written first, others don't. I, I don't know the exact date, so forgive me for being imprecise there. Um, but the fact that the, um, the author there is just referring to some other feature of the earth that was known to people as being physically so, and not just something that they thought about the conception of the universe. Um, I think it's a lot more likely, especially as you look at the other things and you consider that none of those other things are based on speculation. By the way, nobody ever saw, if there are legitimate pillars holding up the earth, nobody has ever seen them, including the people who wrote this. Again, whoever penned this, we don't exactly know, whoever penned this book, okay, they did not see the pillars of the earth. They have seen the sun. They've seen mountains. They've seen stars. They've seen uh, the heavens. They've seen the waves, etc. So it's pretty unlikely to think that in this one verse, he's talking about something that he only assumes exists from some uh, sort of conception of the universe that he heard from somebody or just were, you know was culturally accepted or whatever, but he never saw with his own eyes. I think that's very, very unlikely, and I hope you can see uh, where I'm coming from there. So again, pillars of the earth, in, in some cases, in like Psalm uh, 75.3, and there's also a verse in, I believe, First Samuel. It's obviously either First or Second Samuel. I can't remember which. Very clearly, um, they are re referring to people, authority figures, um, 
And analogously, again, you can see this like Job 9.6 talking about uh, probably the mountains or some other structure related to the foundation of the earth. But again, something that was known to them, not something that they're just kind of making up. And then the last specific example, a set of verses that I want to give you here is talking about the expanse or the, uh, some versions say the firmament, um, and then uh, later, Paul talks about this, uh, the third heaven, uh, lumping all these concepts in together because they all come down on the same thing. Did they have this sort of three-tiered cosmos conception of of the earth? Uh, is that is that like, is that what they thought? Did they think that there was this three-tiered cosmology, as some people call it? So let me just read these verses to you. Genesis 1, 6 through 8, it says this, let, uh, Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then the morning, the second day. Then there is 2 Corinthians 12, 2. The Apostle Paul speaking, of course. And he says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was out of the body, or excuse me, in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Okay, so that's the question. Are we talking about here a a physical hard separator somewhere in the sky that separates these levels of heaven? Or are we just talking, again, using imagery, are we just talking about what we know of the, um, or, or what they know, theologically, of how the world was conceived. Well, let me assure you of one thing right now, especially in Paul's day, especially in Paul's day, it was very well known that you had the the, at, the, the sort of the lower atmosphere as you look right into the sky, you know, this is where mostly like birds are flying and whatever, bats and just whatever, okay? You've got this air right there. Then you've got a separation between that lower atmosphere and then the upper atmosphere. And then you've got, as you go out of that, even you go into outer space and you see, um, you know, the stars and the heavens. In other words, they understood that there was a difference between immediately what they could see, the level where the sun and the moon are, and then what is in between them. Okay, astronomy. There's even a whole discipline called archaeoastronomy that goes back like, seriously, people well before this time knew a lot about how the heavens went, okay? Um, I know there's that old phrase that says, the Bible is there to tell you um, how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Okay, that's true, except that there was a lot known um, by astronomers and people who study this stuff. Scholars, the Magi, even that are mentioned, uh, they knew a lot uh, that we don't give them credit for. Okay, so especially by Paul's time. I don't think Paul is leaning back into this very ancient conception that, spoiler alert, it, it was not held universally um, by ancient cultures. It just wasn't. Wayne Horowitz and his um, um, his uh, his paper, I think it's a book actually called Mesopotamian Cosmology, you know, he, he talked about this. Um, it was just not a universal conception. There were lots of ideas across different cultures, most of them theological in nature. Again, we'll get there in just a minute. Um, but there's no reason to think that Paul was, you know, latching on to this ancient three-tier cosmos idea. And there's just similarly no reason to think that the author of Genesis is 
doing the same thing here. Um, again, using the picture of the expanse of the um, the the actual terminology there that that like the word um, the rakia it means like a like a, a thin like beat it out like beat out metal like like metal that you were able to beat out now the question is does that have a intrinsic assumption of being some hard solid thing um i i don't think so um again there are different opinions on that i really don't think so i think the the word expanse captures it very nicely of what is meant there. It was very clear to people that there, again, were different areas of the sky you can look up and you can see that for yourself. You don't have to have modern knowledge to know that there are different areas of the sky. Um, and, and here's one of the things that's always fascinated me by people who thought this, and, and this this will kind of get into some of what we're going to talk about in a second, is that you can't have it both ways. You can't believe that the sky is a solid dome and that also stuff in that solid dome, moon, like planets, the, the moon, the sun, stars, uh, also moves around in it. <laughs> How do you have a solid dome structure that things move around in? So again, when you start to take this stuff extremely literally, you get to some utter absurdities. You know, one example, I didn't have this in my notes, but I, I, one example that I thought about is I've heard William Lane Craig talk about this when answering similar questions. And he's like, you know, there were beliefs in Egyptian culture, for example, about, you know, like dying and rising gods and things and, and, and things where like in, in the darkness of night, um, the world devolves into this utter chaos. It's like basically a battle every night. And then each morning the, you know, the, the God of the day, um, successfully uh, emerges. And Dr. Craig sort of facetiously, but also very seriously, was like, you know, I just can't imagine that an ancient, other than just understanding that from their historical, like from their archives and, and from their stories and just like it, it being sort of a cultural phenomenon, like I can't imagine that not one time did an Egyptian stay up through the night and observe that there just was no battle taking place and that the god of the day, you know, didn't win it's just that the, the sun came back around and, and there you have it. Um, so it, when you start to press this stuff for literal meaning, it becomes very, very dicey. And the biggest irony of that is that it is oftentimes that, I guess I'll say camp, who looks back at folks in, say, the young age creationist camp or or just the, you know, taking the Bible literally uh, – even though that's not my favorite word, um, camp, and, and say that we will read the text um, in a very wooden, literal fashion and press it to mean things that it just can't mean. And uh, the truth is, I think the shoe is on the other foot there. Okay, so what what's to say for some evaluation of this data? As, as we've talked about this, we've looked at some of the specific verses and talked through the implications of things. Uh, I would say four things. First of all, for our purposes, we really must start with the, again, biblically justified assumption that the Bible intends to speak accurately on all matters that it does speak to, okay? I think it's completely reasonable given who God is, given that God can't lie, uh, given that God was supernaturally sovereign and intending over the process of um, inspiration to where we received what, exactly what we, we needed to receive. I just can't imagine that that God would allow actual error 
to be present in the biblical text. And, and again, maybe you don't agree with that assumption. Well, fine. Um, but I think that's a very reasonable assumption to come out of the gate with. And if that's true, then the Bible can't be speaking error. The Bible can't be speaking contradictorily. Um, if, if there's something that we don't understand, it's because we don't fully understand it, um, not because it is the fault of God or the human writer in this case. So that's number one. Number two is it's a question, um, and it's actually a question um, that, again, was posed and uh, answered by Vern Poitras in a fantastic uh, essay that he wrote. And the question is this, should we allow the Bible to use an erroneous vehicle to carry truthful cargo? So it's a analogy pointing to the vehicle and the cargo. Um, the analogy being that, well, the cargo um, that is true of the biblical record is is theology, right? Like we get our theology, we we learn about what we need to in order to be saved and um, to experience a life in harmony with God's people and in eternal um, reconciliation with God. You know, we've we've again. Um, repented for our sins and all of those things. That's the, the truthful cargo. But unfortunately, uh, people who take this view would say um, that message had to come through vehicle, a, a vehicle that had errors in it, right? The vehicle of, of, of somebody with an ancient mindset, say, who um, might have known enough to communicate what God meant to communicate through them uh, for spiritual purposes, but did not know enough about um, the physical world around them to be able to speak truthfully through that. And so unfortunately, we have these spiritually truthful ideas communicated through this um, physically erroneous, um, you know, vehicle. And I just don't think that that is true. And again, um, the, he argues very well, I think, for why we would not think that that is the, uh, that is the case. So I will go check that out. Uh, again, I think um, I, I need to find that article. And I will try to link it up in the show notes if that is still available online somewhere. Okay, so that's number two. All right, number three is that ancient Near Eastern data, so the data that we have, what we actually know about ancient Near Eastern cultures, is very unclear with respect to how the ancients would have viewed the skies. What I mean is, is that within any given culture, you're going to have an evolution of these ideas back through all of the records that we do actually have. By the way, number one, we don't have a lot. Number two, uh, what we do have is, like I just said, very much it's an evolution from the earliest uh, times of that culture into um, later times of that culture. And then number three, uh, it varied very, very greatly across cultures, okay? What we do know, though, is that and uh, um, Dr. John Oswalt has a fantastic book uh, on this called The Bible Among the Myths. What we do know is that there was a very fundamental worldview difference between Israel and every one of her neighbors. Okay, Israel's monotheistic idea that there was one true creator God. Now, you guys know I'm a divine counsel guy, so I, I believe there are other spiritual beings, even that we could call gods. Um that existed then and probably still exists today. So I believe that, but that's not polytheism. Okay, Israel was very much a monotheistic culture. There was one true creator God. It is God and everything else, okay? God and everything else. In all of these other cultures, it was what, what Dr. Oswald calls a continuity mindset. In other words, it was all together, the spiritual and the physical. There was no distinction. And this, again, this is true of literally every other ancient Near Eastern culture. 
That's why the Bible, the biblical worldview, the Israelite culture was so radical and so different. So what this leads to is that anytime you see in an ancient document or ancient culture, you see them talking about this, about ideas that might be something that manifests in the physical world. For example, um, gods and goddesses fighting with each other, and then the one, you know, the one loses, and then her body gets. This is Tiamat, by the way. Her body gets stretched out and, and becomes the because you know the, the sky is blue. We see the sky as being blue, and so it was this water goddess basically that she lost, and her body was divided and separated out and became. Do you see how? People are looking at, up at the sky and they're, and they're seeing a physical thing, but it's very much tied to a spiritual worldview assumption that they have. This is called cosmogony, basically. Okay. It's this idea of how, how, like what historically, like what is the history of how the sky originated? Notice in the biblical worldview, you have none of that. Okay. There is none of that. There is no, this might be a little controversial to say, but there is no. Uh, you know, concept in Genesis one of God against the ancient chaos forces. Okay. against this nebulous idea of chaos. God has full control. Yahweh has full control over creation. He manipulates creation. When he speaks, creation listens. It's a completely different worldview. God didn't create the sky out of the body of a dead God. Okay. He created the sky out of the waters the waters, guess what they were created from? Nothing. Nothing. The Bible is clear that God spoke from the nothing. And out of that nothingness, everything came. Okay? And that worldview has nothing to do with any physical conception of the sky based on the world being born out of basically a fight amongst the gods or against the dark forces of chaos. Okay? It's a fundamentally different worldview, and it's very hard to untangle what, in fact, it may even be impossible because there, just, there, there may just not be any difference in, in the physical and the spiritual of these other ancient worldviews. So to think that uh, biblical writers are latching on to these physical ideas that they have about the world as, as these other cultures is really ludicrous, I think, because in these other ancient cultures, there was always an element of theology. It wasn't just an, a scientific exercise to look at the heavens. Um, it was very much spiritual in nature. And it is on the spiritual and the theological that uh, the Bible is very, very clearly uh, against these other worldviews. And when you start looking at the fact that these other worldviews made the physical and the spiritual into basically one continuous thing, then I think it's clear to see that there are lots of differences. So did Moses think the earth was flat? No, I do not believe Moses or any other biblical writer thought the earth was flat, thought that there were corners, thought that there were literal pillars under the earth holding it up. I don't think any of that is true. And I think the reasons that are given uh, to think that are not adequate enough to, uh, to support that claim. Thank you guys for being a, a listener. This one was a little bit more in depth, a little bit more technical. Um, and it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, this is good. Uh, if you'd like more content like this, please let me know. Uh, also, if you'd like more content like this, I'm going to be trying to, to do this sort of thing over there on the Substack as well. So BibleNerdSociety.substack.com. Again, you can just go give me your email address there and subscribe to a newsletter for free. Or don't even give me your email address. Just go look at it. And you can read it for free with, with no problem, no strings attached at all. Mostly, I would just love to have you over there 
as a reader. Okay. God bless. Thank you guys so much for everything and the support. And I can't wait to talk to you in the next one.